For those of us who are in Christ, who is also our Redeemer, we have redemption through His blood. What does that mean for us? Jesus came as our Redeemer to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Do you have a biblical worldview? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. We all have a lens in which we view the world. And as Christians, it's important for us to have a biblical worldview. God's story of redemption is the foundation of how we should view everything in this world. Here's David with part one of a message he calls Redeemer. You know, I'd love to tell you that just come to faith in Jesus and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous for the rest of your life. There's just one problem with that. It's a lie. The truth is Christians struggle and suffer just like everybody else does. In fact, when you saw the even though blank, God is for you chalkboard and what people were filling in that blank from infertility to cancer to whatever it might be, those are our staff who are writing in those lines. Those are the spiritual leaders of this church, myself included. Yet, amidst the pain that Christians go through, there is a wonderful promise from God that he is our restorer last week, and this week he is our redeemer. Even though blank, and you fill in the blank, you've got your own blank. Romans 8.31 says, my God is for me. If you are in Christ, even though blank, my God is for me. Today we want to look at this incredible message about God as Redeemer. And the truth is your faith in God is directly connected to your understanding of the character of God. If you really believe God is our restorer, you will worship him. Your faith will increase in direct proportion to your understanding of the character of God. Now, I want to explain the meaning of the word redemption to you in just a moment. But before I do that, let me talk to you again, as I often do, about developing a biblical worldview in your life. Everybody has a worldview. Whether you believe it or not, everybody has a worldview. If you're an atheist here today, you have an atheistic worldview. You believe there is no God, hurt is random, and you just live every day the way you want to live it. That is an atheistic worldview. There is something called a biblical worldview. It's how I look at life. Everything to me is explainable in this world through a biblical worldview, and here it is. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created the world perfectly. Everything operated exactly as God intended it to operate. He called it good. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They invited something called sin into this world. And sin permeated every part of God's once good, perfect creation. Then we see evidences of that fall in Genesis chapter 4 through 11. Cain hated his brother and killed him, the first murder in the Bible. We see the flood, which is God's judgment upon the people's gross sin. Chapters 5 through 9. Then Genesis 11 is the building of a tower called Babel that makes a people pridely say, we are God, look how great we are. And of course, God dispersed them in different languages all over the world. 
Then, to begin something called redemptive history. Say that phrase with me, please. Redemptive history. One more time. Redemptive history. Folks, the Bible is not a rule book. There are rules in here that God asks us to follow. They're like guardrails to keep us on his course in life to protect us against evil. But the Bible is a history book. It's his story of redemptive history. And what God wants us all to do, and we'll look at this at the end of the message, he wants us to find our story in his story. But the story is of redemptive history. And so God, looking at the fall and what it had done to his created order, he called Abraham and formed a nation called Israel. And that Israelite people went into a captivity in Egypt. God released them from that captivity, brought them to a mountain called Sinai, and there God entered into a covenant, an agreement with them, where he would be their God, they would be his people. He would be like a husband to them, they would be like a wife to him. He would be like a father to them, they would be like children to him. And God just said one thing, especially outlined in the book of Leviticus. Don't you miss the book of Leviticus? <laughs> in chapter 25, he said, if you obey these laws that I'm giving you, I'll bless you. If you disobey these laws, I will curse you. And the ultimate expression of that curse will be a foreign, pagan, godless people that I will bring as an instrument of judgment against you, and they will take you into a captivity far away. And of course, if you know the history of Israel, after they left Sinai and then went into the promised land, the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you saw they didn't obey God. And the curses God promised were brought upon them, especially the curse of the captivity. A foreign godless nation came and took them into captivity. This nation was called Babylon. And the people of God were taken some 600 plus miles away in the capital city called Babylon, in the nation called Babylon, and there they rested in a Jewish ghetto. And amidst their captivity, God makes promises to them that he will restore them last week and he will redeem them this week. And we see the promises of God in the book of Jeremiah, chapters 30 through 33, principally, even more specifically, chapter 20, 31. And here we see in today's message, God's promise to the people in captivity that he will be their redeemer. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 11. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob. That's another name for Israel, Jacob. He's ransomed them. Now keep that word in mind because it's a synonym with the word redemption. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has, what's the word? Redeemed him from hands too strong for him. So God's promising to redeem the Israelites out of their captivity. Then the end of chapter 31, these enormous promises from God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. This, this is a promise about Jesus. I'm going to put a law within their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people 
And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me in a relationship. They will know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will what? Forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So the term forgiveness is like ransom and like redemption. It's very similar to salvation. And look at these words from Jesus, Mark 10, 45. He gives us one of the many reasons that he came to this earth. Read it with me. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. So God is one who pays a ransom. He is our forgiver. He saves us. He is our redeemer. What does this word redeem mean? Uh, The specific definition in the dictionary is the action of being saved from sin, error, or evil. The action of regaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. So it's the idea of taking something out of captivity and paying a ransom price. Think of yourself as kidnapped in captivity and the ransom price is paid. Or or think of yourself as a prisoner and someone pays the debt to get you out. The whole idea of redeem is to save us from a condition of captivity. So for the Israelites in their captivity in Babylon, it was a promise that God would free them from their captivity and one one day bring them back to the land. But for those of us who are in Christ, who is also our Redeemer, uh, Ephesians 1, 7 says that in Christ we have redemption through his blood. What does that mean for us? I would suggest to you it means that in the captivity of our sin, Jesus came to pay the ransom price to set us free. In Jesus' first sermon in Luke, the fourth chapter, he quoted from Isaiah 61, looking at the day of Jubilee, every 50th year when all of the slaves would be pronounced free. And Jesus said, today, in your presence is the fulfillment of the reading of this text. People understood what he was saying. They picked up stones to stone him. They knew that he was claiming to be God. But he was not talking about a captivity from a Babylonian perspective to the promised land. He was talking about setting us free from the captivity of our sins. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 1, The Apostle Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free, no longer to be under the bondage of slavery. Jesus came as our redeemer to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. You see, what happened in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, the primary place it attacked is yours and my heart. And we're now birthed with an empty heart that continues to try to find meaning in anything and everything except original intent, Genesis 1 and 2, with God himself. Let me list for you five places where we are captive to sin in our lives. 
first of all, we're captive to self. That gnawing, uncomfortable feeling in our heart tries to find purpose in self. We work harder and longer hours hoping somehow to have prestige, power, significance, whatever it is. But the longer and harder we work, the more we know it doesn't satisfy. All we get is exhaustion. So we try to find it in making our bodies more attractive. Uh, For some of you women especially, it's in losing more and more weight. And you convince yourself looking in the mirror that you're too fat and you continue not to eat and you become anorexic, thinking you have now the perfect body and you'll be loved. For men and some women too, it's developing abs. We want a six-pack that is just perfectly groomed and we've somehow fallen prey to the lie that life is about exteriors and not the interior heart. And we somehow think that somehow when we die and go to heaven, the first question God's going to ask is, may I see your abs, please? (laughs) Woo, that's impressive. You've got them skilled and sculpted perfectly. Come on in heaven. What a lie. You know the books that sell the most in bookstores are not the spiritual classics. Not the saints through the ages who teach us how to drive our lives inwardly, interiorly into Christ. But they're the self-help books. Even in the Christian bookstores, the self-help books are the ones that sell the most. Somehow, constantly trying to find a way, ten steps toward, that will make us feel good inside. But the truth is, nothing about ourselves can ever free us from the captivity of our souls. Then we look to other people to free us from the captivity in many different ways. First of all, some of us look toward our kids. I jog around the Harris Y from time to time when I can, and oftentimes there are kids sporting events going on, and sometimes I just love to run over to a father and grab him by the scruff of his neck and say, what in the world are you doing? He's sitting there yelling at his son or his daughter, come on, play harder. Oh, don't miss that shot. Come on, come on, you can do better than that. And I just want to grab him and say, do you realize what you're doing to your kid's soul? You're crushing his or her heart because somehow you feel like you've got to live vicariously in your own lack of success through your kid. That's trying to satisfy the gnawing something in our hearts. And we look toward other people. Uh, Men look toward women, and women look toward men to fill that hole in the heart. You know, one of the great things about having children a little later on in life, like Marilyn and I did, is now we're a little older, but we have lots of grandchildren coming along. Well, that keeps us current with all the contemporary songs. And there's a group out called Walk the Moon, And it's a guy singing to his girlfriend, you woman are my destiny. I said, woo, shut up and dance with me. Didn't I do that well? Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm very proud of myself. Even knowing that song, I'm very proud of myself. Um, 
This summer, Caleb, my little two-year-old grandson, uh, Bethany won't let them say shut up. They think that's improper. So they say, get up and dance with me. So whenever he wanted me to play with him, he'd say, you, Pappy, are my destiny. I said, woo stand up and play with me. Anyway, that's it. The truth is, no man should ever say to a woman, you're my destiny. No woman can be a man's destiny. It's impossible. And in the same way, no man can be your woman's destiny. He can't fill the hole in your heart. He can't. And I'm so concerned about the number of slurpy marriages I see where husband and wife are just drinking from one another, thinking they're their destiny. And at some point, it's going to be a nothing left. And that's why people are leaving marriages. Only Jesus can fill the deepest longing of your heart, folks. Only Jesus can meet your needs, and then you're able to give to your spouse or other people what they need. Have you ever seen anyone erect a statue to a critic? Trying to make other people your gods? It's useless. May I share with you this truth? People make lousy gods. They cannot, they cannot free you from the captivity of your hearts. Only Jesus can. Thirdly, we look to created things. You see, the inversion that happened in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Genesis 1 and 2, God gave Adam authority over the plants and the animals. Adam even named the animals. But in Genesis 3 in the fall, something hideous happened. And one of the things that happened was the inversion of creation. Now, no longer did Adam and Eve and us have authority over the plants and the animals. One of the wages of sin is the plants and the animals have authority over us. You don't believe that? Those of you with eating disorders, those who eat too much, especially, animals have authority over you. Those of you with an alcohol You are listening problem, to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in a discussion about retirement. Stay with us. Plant, this might not be what you expect. We'll be right back. Sex created by God is a What does the Bible tell us about the end times? Enjoyable. The Bible is a book about soteriology, your salvation, redemption, and eternal life. Taken it David Chadwick has made an informative video called and The End Time Prophecies. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God's Word is revealing facts about the times we live in with whom as now well you as are the second coming of Jesus Christ. You to do we would love to, to give this video to you as a resource to equip you to help you understand Creation the history and prophecies you. of the Not second the coming found in the Old Creation. Testament. In this video, David covers the validity of Scripture, Jesus' first coming, and how we can have faith in his second heart. coming. This video is and a compelling religion. account of the foundation Some of, of the Christian to religion faith. To, meet that to What's receive religion? your free That's copy of this video, God's favor. go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listen. Again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listen for your free copy of this informative, educational video from David Chadwick. 
And as End a result, time prophecies from David Chadwick. Get yours for free today. Inside. And moreover, eventually, you become self-righteous and judgmental toward other people. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jen. It's such a pleasure doing these daily radio broadcasts with you. Thank you. It is so fun to be here. Thank you. Well, one of your recent e-devotions was about a Davidism called Don't Retire, Refire. What in the world do you mean by this one? (laughs) It's one of my favorite. Favorites and the fifth absolutely. I learned this years week. ago. It's boredom. And I've always believed it's basically that in the people Bible, who are God afraid of death. You know that's the biggest fear out there. He calls the them to refire so in a lot ministry of opportunities. Choose Many of us begin about. planning for retirement. They live their lives twenty drink and be married. We envision and prepare for the days of our lives. And therefore, when we since all you have to think about be death, able to work and play without any more work in our lives. But planning for retirement wasn't always the case in the Bible. Indeed, scripture. Scripture says that the idea of retiring was applicable Redemption. only to the priests. Jesus and God regulated the priestly office and limited the age of active priest to 50 captains. years of age. And that was it at a very old freedom. age during that time period. But that's the only evidence we have in the Bible of any sense of retirement. I love the story of in Tampa, Florida. against that backdrop, in his consider 30s, Moses, he was on a drunken Aaron, binge, Joshua, so he was on his and way Caleb. Home, These mighty men lived an out their window, calling in the latter him, years of their lives. The house, For example, went upstairs, Moses began leading the Israelites money, when he was eight. Folks, 80 years of age. And he faithfully continued his duty until he was 120 years old. And then there's Aaron, Moses' brother. He was 83 when he began his calling as high priest. And Joshua, he was in his late 70s when he led the Israelites into the promised land. And I love Caleb. (laughs) Caleb, 85 years of age when he sought to take the land where the giants were the biggest when Joshua and he entered the promised land together. Now, think about all these men who followed the Lord's calling on their life. They were well past their typical age of retirement. Here's the point. Don't set your mind to retire. Set your mind to refire. Find a way to serve others in the name of Jesus, no matter what age you may be. There will always be needs around you. And as you age, move from success to significance. Hmm. When you face the Lord one day, he won't care about your successes for yourself. He will care about your significance for him. Hmm. And always remember this, folks. Age is just a number. May I say it again? Age is just a number. Jesus can use you in great ways in every season of your life. That's why you don't ever retire, you refire. That is so good. And as you say, age is just a number. I think of, and gray hair is a sign of wisdom. So I'd like to believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to embrace that for myself. Well, the word that comes to mind right now is purpose. At every stage and age, and gray hair or not, we all are seeking purpose. And this provides such an opportunity to continue to find purpose beyond a set age that society puts on you. Absolutely. And as long as you're breathing, and can move, you can be the Lord's instrument of service to others. What did Mother Teresa say? We are a pencil in the hands of God. Mm. She doesn't state how old that pencil is. She just says, you're a pencil in the hands of God. Let him write your story continually, even in your latter years, because as long as there are needs in this world, God can use you magnificently, and you Mm -hmm. just might discover that your most faithful years 
are your latter years. I love it. This is so encouraging. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Jen. And everyone who'd like to receive these daily Davidisms, these Moments of Hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They'll be in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. A gift from me to you to start your day with hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to check out David's weekly Hopecast. It's free and available through our website. Also, be sure to check out David's End Times Prophecy video. It's free for our listeners. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. I hope you have a great Palm Sunday.